Being real by definition means presenting yourself in a way that is true and honest. Hallelujah, you have come to the right podcast. Welcome to Real Talk with Rebecca, where we will get real. We dive into real issues that are affecting our personal world. We will discuss real solutions to cause real results so we can live an authentic life full of purpose and joy. We will talk about everything and maybe throw in the kitchen sink. We will grow together and we're going to communicate ourselves in a real and lasting way. It's Real Talk and I'm your host, Rebecca Mapston. Thank you for tuning in. Well, hello. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Real Talk with Rebecca. I'm your host, Rebecca Mapston. And uh, boy, I'm just, I'm really jazzed about being able to um, focus this month podcast on bringing awareness to domestic, to domestic violence. I kind of pondered for the last few days. I do have some interviews scheduled coming up next week, and I'll be really excited to bring those to you. But I just was kind of pondering, okay, what's the next step? What's the next thing we should talk about and inform our listeners on and bring some education to our listeners if they need it, or just even really speak to those that are maybe in the midst of walking through some um, tumultuous relationships or dealing with domestic violence, not knowing which way to turn. Do I know that I'm, I I feel like I might be in a domestic violence situation, but I'm not really sure because it's more, you know, more of the mental aspect of, of domestic violence. And so I wanted to just talk today about two simple things. And then really I wanted to dive into kind of a touchy subject. It's made national headlines and that is, uh, this, ongoing search for um, Brian Laundrie and if I'm pronouncing his name right and this uh, death of Gabby Petito and the events that led up to that including uh, when they were pulled over and arrested and cited and went through the whole process because of a domestic violence um, incident call fight that they had. So I kind of I'll be honest with you I kind of try not to follow the mainstream media all the time and and listen to the news uh, day in and day out and honestly in the summertime with as much as I travel I really get the headlines and that's about it I don't really have time to dive into all of the um, articles and follow anything because I'm so busy traveling to rodeos Um, but I just felt like you know I wanted to kind of go back and find out what the story was and what was really happening with this story and and why it's made such national headlines and granted, I mean, any situation where we're dealing with domestic violence should make national headlines because it is an epidemic that uh, is global and worldwide and we need to address it. And really, it really comes back down to giving the education and uh, the knowledge and the keys and the tools to our younger generation as well as those walking through it right now so that we can break the silence and end the violence and really change the pattern of what healthy relationships look like. Um, so I'm excited. Let's let's dive in just a little bit. Welcome and thank you for tuning in. So in this Domestic Violence, National Domestic Violence Awareness Month, you know, uh, many of you might actually ask what is technically defined as domestic violence. So if you were to go on and look up for instance online what is domestic violence you're going to find that it says domestic violence can be defined as a pattern of behavior in any relationship that is used to gain or maintain power and control over an intimate partner abuse can be physical sexual emotional economic psychological actions or even threats of action that influence another person that can include behaviors that frighten uh, 
the other person, intimidate, terrorize, manipulate, hurt, humiliate, blame, injure, or wound someone. Domestic violence can happen to anyone. Like I said in my previous episode of any economic status, race, religion, immigration status, you know, gender, it just doesn't matter. It can happen to anyone. And uh, it does happen a lot to couples that are married or living together or who are even dating. And so I know there's a lot of resources out there um, that are really working hard and striving hard to teach what healthy dating looks like. And I think that's so valuable. I think it's so important to educate our youth to understand as they grow and mature and hit puberty and decide that they're interested in someone to date um, what that relationship should look like because not all of us have or have had the best representation at home in relationships with parents, step parents, you name it, grandparents, um, because it is, it's, you get the opportunity when you're married to share the life with another imperfect person. And when you're sharing the life with an imperfect person, you're taking the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so I think it's important to recognize that even when you go into a relationship so that you can address it and say, hey, these are my traits, these are your traits. What are some of the unhealthy traits that we need to look at and really redirect and resolve and heal and make better for the betterment of our relationship? And young kids, they don't think about that. They're in the heat of the moment. They're, uh, a lot of it, honestly, in young dating is all about, really, it's really about lust because, or companionship. They don't really understand the dynamics of spending continual amounts of time with someone when they first start dating. So I think it's important as parents, as teachers, as family, as friends, that we educate and teach this younger generation what healthy dating looks like. So the first question you have to ask yourself is, does the person you love threaten to hurt you or other people you care about? These are just signs and things you got to ask yourself if you're in a relationship, um, and you think it might have some domestic violent component to it and you're needing to really analyze and find out, okay, does this fit me? These are questions you have to ask yourself. Does the person you love threaten to hurt you or other people you care about? Do they hit, kick, punch, push, choke, or use physical force against you? Do they criticize or blame you for everything that's going wrong? And I mean like everything. It doesn't matter if the sky's blue. They're blaming you. It's your fault for some reason. Uh, humiliate you in front of other people, talk down to you, use sarcasm. Uh, I think that's a big one is the sarcasm. Control access to your money. Do they say it's our money, but I'm, I'm, you know, the one controlling all the finances so that we can pay all our bills or, you know, I need to be in control because I'm better with money than you are. So do they control the access to your money? Do they control the decision-making in your relationship? Do they, do they decide where you're going to go eat? Do they decide the family you're going to hang out with? Do they decide where you're going on holidays? And do they control your time and actions? Do they know where you're at at all times? Do they make you call in at all times? Do they text you at all times? Uh, these are some of those components to ask yourself about the person that you love. Uh, do, do they put you down, call you names, make you feel like you're going crazy? Uh, I think that, keep that in mind because I think that's one of the indicators that I saw when I watched the body cam videos of this Gabby Petito um, citation arrest that they did with them and the fiance over this domestic violence call. So keep that in mind. 
do they destroy your property or abuse your pets? I know abusing pets is oftentimes a sign of not only being abusive, but some very other psychological issues. Um, and that can start at a very young age, not, not just in a relationship, but still, nonetheless, do they destroy your property or abuse your pets? Do they throw things, break things, um, you know, scratch things, you name it. Do they threaten to hurt you or commit suicide if you leave? That's something that I know um, is a touchy subject, and we'll go into that in just a minute. Do they force or coerce you to have sex when you don't want to? Now, that can be a tricky um, question to ask yourself. Sometimes it's very right out in your face. Um, but I just want to touch just a little bit on my own personal um, experiences without going into a bunch of details. Um, one thing I can tell you when I was in my first um, abusive relationship, we, and I'm the first one to admit, honestly, that um, you either learn to give abuse or take abuse, or you, um, you can be both. You can both give it and receive it. I think I was a mixture of both. I learned to receive abuse and I learned to give abuse. And, and mine might not have been in the same ways or manners that a violent situation might have looked like, but I learned how to, to give abuse in a very passive aggressive manner. And passive aggressiveness is another form of abuse. Um, it's just delivered on a different platter, if you will. So one of the things that I can recall when I was uh, first married to my first husband is uh, we were just young kids. We, we were high school sweethearts and we both came with lots of baggage as most kids do. Um, divorced families, um, there's a lot of, you know, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, uh, verbal abuse, mental abuse, you name it, we both had walked through it. So of course, when we got together, we thought that we had a mutual of understanding that this is where we'd been and this is where we don't want to go. But unfortunately, again, abuse is a learned behavior. And as we grew and became adults and got married and had kids, uh, life just kind of happened. And so uh, my ex-husband became an alcoholic. And in that alcoholism, uh, there were times that he wouldn't come home at night. He wouldn't call. Um, he would stay out all night drinking with his buddies. And uh, the worry that would set in. And then I would be guilted for asking and being silly for asking where he was and why he didn't come home. I was shamed for expecting him to come home. And that was just part of his, not only his abuse, but just the, the alcoholism in general. But something I don't like to talk about a lot because it took me a long time after I left that relationship to recognize um, that I had those feelings was he would come home drunk. And although I wasn't out drinking and I wasn't drunk, he would come home drunk and he would want to have sex. And I remember I was so repulsed by the smell of the alcohol and not wanting to be intimate, but not saying no to my husband. And so I would get, of course, oh, come on, honey. Oh, you know, the, the romanticizing thinking he was trying to be just the husband and, and want to, you know, have sex, I guess you would say, but it was not, it was forcing me to have sex when I didn't want to, because he was in a drunken state and I was not. And so therefore I can relate and I can understand what that feeling um, must felt like for some people that have had to deal with rape because that's what it becomes like you become numb and, and your body is not your own and you're doing something that you really don't want to do but you're afraid to speak out because the person that is 
is causing that or bringing that upon you is supposed to be the person you love, the person you're married to. It's normal. You're supposed to do this in a, in a marriage, but it's not because when you don't want to do something, you are in control of your own body. You should not have to do something. And we as women in these situations need to r recognize that that's an unhealthy pattern, not only in in the person that you're married to, but yourself, because you're afraid to say no. So that, yes, becomes a form of domestic violence. So that was an instance that I learned and walked through. Another instance is the um, when a partner threatens to hurt you or commit suicide if you leave. I had thought and I had gotten out of one bad relationship only to go into another. And it was because I was bringing those unhealed aspects of me into another relationship assuming that I was still healed and I could or that I was healed and I could move on into another relationship jump into another relationship and I jump into another relationship with someone that has just as many um, parts of his soul that's unhealed as mine and one of those um, things for that person was his um, confidence and his need to control and his need to be in power and I know that there were many times I would want to leave or I would want him to be accountable for the choices he was making in the relationship and step up and and change the things that weren't benefiting our relationship. And so if that wasn't happening for me, the next step was, OK, I have to have boundaries in my life, just as like anyone else in this type of situation has to have boundaries in their life. Um, and and those boundaries for me would would be me trying to draw that line in the sand saying, okay, I'm done. Uh, this relationship isn't working. This love is hurting. I'm ready to move on. And then I would get the, I just need to kill myself. I'm just going to kill myself. I have no, there's just no point in me. I'm just going to kill myself. I would get that comment made to me on several occasions when trying to relieve my second relationship that was abusive. And so that made it really hard for me when I was raising young children in my home, even though he had children as well, they didn't live with us full time. My children lived with me full time. So the fear became, is he going to, because we did have guns in the house, we did have ways for him to do that. And knowing the depression that that um, partner of mine was dealing with, that I couldn't fix, because remember, it's not our job to fix the other person, it's our job to fix ourselves. His need, his responsibility, my need, my responsibility, your need, your responsibility. So I knew at that point in time that I could not fix the relationship because I could not fix the other person. So then, and therefore I had to remove myself and my children from that, which was um, not healthy for, for us. But the fear and the conditioning of being told, I'm just going to kill myself and wondering are my kids going to come home from school before I get home from work and find their, um, you know, my, my husband dead or would he really do that? I don't know. You know, when people get to that point of depression and they won't seek help and they won't seek, um, someone to work through those, you know, the medically medical side of it, you get to a point where you don't know what else you can do. So yes, does the person you love threaten to hurt you or commit suicide if you leave? That is a form of abuse when they threaten, it's psychological when they threaten to commit suicide. Um, there's so many other things, the humiliation in front of other people. And I think the one thing that caught my attention today in this group of um, questions that we can ask ourselves about the person you love, and if you're in a, in a uh, abusive or a situation of domestic violence, is um, watching those videos today of the body cams of the police department 
when interviewing Gabby Petito and her fiance, one of the things that first caught me off guard was when she was first put in the back of the cop car, she was talking about OCD. And I don't know if any of you have caught it, but I would, I would recommend if you're wanting to see the different faces of how it can be um, overlooked, where we really need to go in and get some really good training to see beyond the surface of what's happening. Um, I think these cops tried, but I think they missed the mark. So the first thing she said is she's just got OCD and anxiety and she was trying to fix things and it, and it was frustrating her fiance basically is what she said. Nine times out of 10, I can guarantee if someone is in an abusive relationship and they say they're OCD and have anxiety, that comes from that controllingness of the relationship that they're in when they're being put down or they're being called names or they're saying they're stupid or they don't do anything right or why did you do that this way when you should have done it this way? Why is that here when it should be here? Because that person that is the controller, that is the abuser, um, has that need to control everything. And so when you try to fit within the mold of someone who is trying to control you, you you sometimes in that moment of trying to appease them or make them happy to keep the the happy cycle going and the abuse at bay, you try to do things perfectly. And that spirit of perfectionism comes upon you and with that comes OCD and anxiety. And so that was the first thing that I noticed about her that was like, hmm, like granted kids today in their 20s deal with a lot of anxiety and stress. But the reality is that she's driving down the road in a van with her boy, her fiance working from a computer. I'm not quite sure that she's dealing with the type of anxiety and stress that most 20 something year olds deal with out in uh, college or in life where they're dealing with the number of different peers or deadlines or things going on that would cause her that internal conflict. I don't know. I, it could just be me. That is just my opinion. But that is what I noticed about that video first thing first off. The second thing is he acted so nonchalantly about it. And they both were acting like they were both trying to just get out of there and cover it up and move on. Which tells me this is not the first time something like that's happened. So there was just things that were said. Gabby was very much fraught. She admitted she had, you know, pushed him, shoved him, done all these different things. But she did make a comment that he had grabbed her face and shoved her. Or he, she, she made the comment, he didn't punch me in the face, but he grabbed me. And she gave a physical gesture of how he grabbed her and that it scratched her face. But the cops didn't even go one step beyond that and say, has this happened before? Is this the first time that you guys have gotten in fights like this? Or does this happen on a regular basis? They didn't, they didn't ask enough questions, in my opinion, or get to a deeper part of the question um, where they might have been able to tell if this was a first time incident or this is something ongoing. And unfortunately, you know, as cops and people, you know, dealing with the situations at the moment like they were, I'm sure it's hard to do. But I feel like in trying to be the peacemakers, the cops trying to be the peacemakers and do their job and not really wanting to arrest or cause an arrest that wasn't warranted because it 
they made the appearance that everything was fine. Isn't that funny? They made the appearance that their relationship is fine. They can't be without each other. He didn't want to leave her and he didn't want her to get in trouble. She didn't want him to get in trouble. She didn't want to be away from him. It was very much apparent that this had not, this was not a one-time incident. And so, I don't know, I watched that over and uh, over a 42 minute, 45 minute video and I really did see cops that tried to care and show that they cared, but also cops that were just trying to minimum, minimize what had happened um, because they didn't think it was life-threatening. And isn't that just unfortunate that because they didn't think it was within a week later, 10 days later, 12 days later, she ends up missing and winds up dead. Now, we don't know the reason behind that, but that cop, one of the cops that was in that video, he knew, like he knew the true outcome of what happens. He knew, and he was educated enough to know that women abusers, men abusers, but mainly women um, being abused, excuse me, that they go back to their abuser seven times at least. Like he knew that. He knew that, uh, he knew the statistics. He knew the training. He was very well educated in it. So then I, I just got to start, stop and think it's like nobody's perfect he he had to make a judgment call in that moment but what if he would have made just a couple more inquiries would that judgment call judgment call been different and would there have been a different outcome I'm not blaming him for the death of Gabby I'm just saying there's opportunities to make ha so things can change and go a different direction and whether it would have prolonged the inevitable I don't know but I think as survivors um, like myself and people that are on the other side of childhood domestic violence as well as adulthood domestic violence. Uh, I've, I've told several of my friends, you know, we just, we get on the other side of it and we forget how bad it can be. We forget how bad it was when we were in it. We forget the mental turmoil. We forget, you know, the responses and where life was when we were in it because we finally are on the other side and yet we can look around and we can see so many other women and young women, younger and younger and younger in the middle of it and I just I really I just it's such a tragic situation but I think that if we can talk about it like this on podcasts or on Facebook or in Facebook groups or uh, in our communities maybe we can be more um, aware of what's going on I did appreciate I will tell you this I did appreciate the fact that there were two witnesses one was there and saw it firsthand. One was driving by and saw it firsthand and called it in. And that tells me that people are taking it more seriously, which we need to, because unfortunately with the psychological aspect of domestic violence, um, victims tend to return to their abusers. And so we, gosh, I could talk about this, like I said, for hours upon hours. There's so much we can do. I think the question asks is what's the right age that we start educating people and what is it we educate them about and how do we find out that that education and that knowledge that we're presenting to them is actually going to change and infiltrate and influence them on how they see relationships. I, I think that's also a key point because again as we've said over and over again domestic violence is a learned behavior and so um, it's a very personal issue. It's a very private issue because it, it goes into the um, lives of our, of uh, each and every one of us and into our homes and into our past and into things that we maybe don't want to talk about or like to talk about. 
but I really feel like the folks that are really getting out there on the front lines in junior high and teaching junior high uh, boys and girls what healthy relationship looks like is very, very important. I think it's important for um, parents to talk with their kids before they go out and date what that needs to look like um, when they date and remove the expectations or the things that they've walked through and what they think is healthy, but really be objective to what is healthy. I know one of the things that I can look back on my life in my relationships with my kids as dad and with um, an ex-husband that I can honestly, I've asked my kids to forgive me for what I've put them through. I've asked them to forgive me for what they saw and what they learned because um, it, it affected them now as they go into the world and date I know this and that's one of the things that even though I'm removed from the abuse and I've removed the abuse from me the trickle effect is still there so now it's my job as a mom to go and help my kids understand or find the tools or have the tools so that they don't repeat the cycle of their mother or they don't repeat the cycle of their father or their stepfather or anything like that and um, it's a long process because it's it's hard to undo mentally what you know you're not supposed to do because it just becomes like almost sadly second nature but I have hope and I believe that it can be and I believe that if we continually have open dialogue and talk open dialogue and talk and say hey and and be okay to confront your own kids I can tell my son and and my daughter when something that they're doing is not a healthy um, habit or not a healthy way of handling something or not a healthy tool in their toolbox let's get rid of that one and put some things in there that will help you so that they can experience things and recognize things um, and remove things that they need to along the way at an earlier age than I was able to do that so I think that's key as well um, we have a lot of wo uh, work ahead of us especially in the society that we live in right now a lot of work special with social media and the way dating and, and all that works right now so I just want to encourage th you that are listening um, to stay encouraged to be encouraged there are so many resources out here I mean I've been on my internet today and I've got probably one two three four five six seven eight nine tabs open of different pages and sites that you can go to to learn what healthy relationships look like what unhealthy relationships looks like warnings of abuse am I in a domestic violence situation mental health you know all these different aspects because it's such a big umbrella and this podcast is just one small part and piece of a big conglomerate of things that we can do collectively as a society and a community of friends and family and and people in this country as well as around the world so I just want to encourage you today if you know someone or someone has come to you and said I think I might be being abused help them understand point them to a place where they can go to ask themselves these questions regarding the person that they love are they in an abusive relationship for international is all about the resources and helping you with the resources to provide them to you so that you can help yourself or someone you know um, really seek out what they need to heal and to be whole um, transcontinental pageant system and the pledge campaign against domestic violence is all about being a voice and getting out there and and getting the men to recognize hey we need to speak up the women 
be choosy in the love that you choose to receive and allow into your life. Children, be cautious of the words that you speak because the words that you speak um, can either bring life or death. You know, choose the words that you put out so that those words come back to you. And so I think it takes a tribe and we need to be a tribe. And I hope that this podcast will help garner and bring in a new tribe and a group of strong minded, like minded individuals that want to see an end to domestic violence that want to see an end to unhealthy relationships that continually perpetuate generation after generation that want to see a new and healthy look on what healthy love looks like for our kids and for their kids and for the generations to come. That is all I have for today, ladies and gentlemen. I hope that you are having a wonderful day and are blessed wherever you are at. Stay tuned next time for our next episode when we'll talk a little bit more about domestic violence, maybe not just are you in a domestic violence situation, but what are the warning signs and what do we do next? Where do we go? Uh, How do we have healthy relationships? What do unhealthy relationships look like? So stay tuned. This whole month is all dedicated to domestic violence awareness and helping us stop the violence by speaking up, seeing something, saying something, and taking the pledge against domestic violence. This is Becky Mafston. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Real Talk with Rebecca, brought to you by Empire Concepts, The Legacy Project, and 4International.